Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Grace and peace, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. Our interim pastor, Derek Starr Redwine, is away this weekend, uh, but my name is Nelson Reevely and I'm the pastor for discipleship here at Grace Covenant. It's really wonderful to have all of you here with us this morning, whether in person or over the airwaves and the internet. And whether you've been here for years or you are here for the first time, it's a blessing and a gift to be together to worship the living God with you. There is a lot going on in the church this summer, and I just want to make note of that, uh, that you can read about all those ways you can get involved in our church bulletin. So please do check out all the things that are going on in the bulletin. And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us turn to our God, our Creator, and our Redeemer in an opening prayer. Lord, we thank you for this chance that we have to pour forth praise to you, to hear your word read and proclaimed, to lift up our hearts with song to you, and to offer our prayers and tithes for your ministries in this congregation, our nation, and the world. Open our hearts and our minds this morning, and use this time to grow and nourish us to be your faithful disciples, seeking to share your word and your deeds in the gospel of your coming kingdom. Christ Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Please stand as you are able and join with me in the call to worship as printed in the bulletin. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Our help is in the name of the Lord, made heaven and earth. Cry out with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Let us worship our Lord together with gladness. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 98th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant. Today's date is June the 27th, 2021, and today's broadcast is number 4,996. Reverend Derek Starr Redwine is our interim pastor. This morning's sermon, entitled, Don't You Care If We Drown?, 
will be delivered by Rev. Dr. Nelson Reevely, our pastor for discipleship. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our director of music and organist, Aaron Cook, pianist, and Rusty Stadler, liturgist. Our opening hymn is Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, which is number 263 in the Presbyterian hymn. Sisters and brothers, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all stray from being the people that God made each of us to be in small ways and in stubborn habits, as individuals and together as communities and nations. So one of the first things we do as we come to worship our Lord is confess our sins, knowing that God's mercy is open to us through Christ Jesus and trusting that in confession, God cultivates our hearts and our minds to bear fruits of the Spirit. So now let us bear our hearts together to God using the prayer of confession as printed in our bulletin. God of grace and righteousness, we confess that we fail to love you with all our heart, soul, and might. And as a result, we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. We stray from your life-giving ways. Lord, graciously reform us in your mercy. Grow us evermore as ambassadors of your grace, truth, and righteousness. Amen. God's mercies are fresh every morning. In Christ, God offers grace and welcome into a community of trust, abundance, and hope. Let us give thanks for the mercy of God that is from everlasting to everlasting. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
And at this time, I invite forward Bob Nichols. Uh, we are very grateful to receive Bob as a new member of our congregation today. And every time a new member joins, we are reminded that our following Jesus Christ is not an individual endeavor, but is fundamentally a communal endeavor as part of God's people in covenant with our Creator and one another. A covenant into which uh, we are drawn and adopted through Jesus Christ. Uh, so it is as a church community that we follow Jesus, encouraging and supporting one another in our lives of faith together. And today, again, we give thanks that Bob is joining and coming alongside us with all of his gifts and graces as a member of Grace Covenant. At its meeting of June 21st, 2021, the session of Grace Covenant welcomed Robert Nichols into membership of Grace Covenant by transfer of letter from Northside Church. And now, Bob, I'm going to ask you uh, three questions as reaffirmation of your baptism into the body of Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you renounce evil and affirm your reliance on God's mercy and grace? If so, say, I do. I do. And will you be a faithful member of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, sharing in its ministry and mission through your prayers, gifts, study, and service? If so, say, I will through God's grace. And now I invite everyone to stand as you're able, and using the words of the Apostles' Creed as printed in our bulletin, uh, let us affirm together the truths that brought each of us here together this morning, and that bind each of us as a community of mutual love and support under Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Do you promise to support and encourage Bob to grow in faith and love by supporting him, praying for him, and being open to what he brings to our community of faith? Do you? We do. Everyone, please join me in a prayer. Holy God, thank you for calling us to be your people and joining us to be Christ's body of the church. We praise you, God, for leading Bob into this congregation. Empower us, Lord, by your spirit that together we might love one another as Christ loves us and give our lives in service to others. We give thanks again for Bob and the blessing that he brings to this congregation and to so many. And we pray that Bob would be especially know your blessing and your strengthening and your encouragement of his gifts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And I encourage everyone to welcome Bob in this new role as a member of Grace Covenant when we gather together after worship out on the terrace.
Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 1 through 11. Leading up to this passage, Job has lost everything, and he has cried out to God in anguish, why is this happening to me, God? Listen now to God's word for Job and for you and for me. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Or who stretched the line upon it? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. The word of the Lord.
Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Listen again to God's word for us. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and waves broke upon the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me again in prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word, with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to you and your everlasting goodness, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Don't you care if we drown? This was the disciples' question to Jesus. I imagine it was more of a shout amid the screaming windstorm and the waves crashing into the boat as night fell and the boat began to sink into the sea and their leader was asleep in the stern of the ship. Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drown? In many translations, it reads as the more literal, don't you care that we are perishing? This intense moment, of course, came on the heels of a long day of teaching by the seaside. The crowds around Jesus had been so persistent, so large, that Jesus had actually been teaching them from a boat, bobbing in the water, little waves gently lapping against the boat's side and onto the seashore as the crowds leaned in, listening from the shore side to Jesus' projecting voice, proclaiming parables and teachings about God's kingdom. He taught them that day about the sower casting seeds indiscriminately on all kinds of soil, some seeds taking root, others not. And as the day wore on, Jesus turned and spoke to his disciples, presumably in the boat with him and those other boats nearby. Away from the earshot of the crowds, Jesus explained to his most immediate and intimate followers 
the parable of the sower, and he shared other parables about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed, or like a seed that took root and sprung up overnight. He taught them about not hiding lamps under bushel baskets, but letting them shine. And it was at the end of this long day, when evening came, that Jesus said, let's go across to the other side. And the disciples took him along just as he was in the boat. And Jesus at that point, I imagine, was pretty tired, pretty spent. And so he had lain down to rest in the stern of the ship. And then shortly thereafter, in testament to how quickly life can turn from going along fine to falling apart, a furious storm rose up with winds suddenly tearing through the sky and waves churning into the boats, swamping them, sinking them. And the disciples, dismayed, quite reasonably, in fear that they were about to die. They screamed to their slumbering leader, Jesus, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus woke up. And with the same words and authority he had been using to command demons, he rebukes the wind and tells the waves to be quiet and be still. And it was calm. Quickly and completely calm. Now this instance, this passage, this moment in Christ's ministry on earth, at its core, It's a reminder that Jesus was not simply a human being, but was the internal, infinite word incarnate. It was a moment in which Jesus revealed, as Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, that in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that's in in that intense moment on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus showed the same kind of authority over creation that he has had from the get-go. That he's had from let there be light, from the spirit hovering over the waters and the formless void, separating dry land from water, setting boundaries for the seas. This was a moment in which the word incarnate was revealing that he was in fact the word incarnate, through whom and with whom all things were made. And Jesus' calming of the storm was, of course, also an answer to the disciples' question. Don't you care if we drown? Jesus did care. He did care to save. He did have capacity to save. And he calmed the storm. But while this passage and this moment in Jesus' ministry at its core, of course, again, testifies to Jesus as both our creator, in control of even the grandest, sharpest forces of nature themselves, and also our savior, rescuing the disciples from this immediate threat at the outset of his ministry with them. This passage can also sometimes feel a bit distant from us, So building on that foundational message of Christ as our creator and our redeemer, in many ways this passage can also serve as a microcosm for the ways Christ is our creator and savior from other storms, metaphorical storms, that might not ravage or overwhelm our lives with the literal gale force winds, but still damage and debilitate us nonetheless. 
still leave us crying out to God, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we're perishing? Where are you? Do something. These storms and the suffering that they bring, they're one of the most common and core concerns that folks have in their relationship with God. This question of why suffering happens is something that understandably makes so many folks feel like they either can't trust or can't believe a good, loving, personal God is there. Or that they don't want to or can't have anything to do with a God who would allow such things to happen. I've personally wrestled with this question of suffering deeply, as I know so many others have as well. These storms in our lives, they raise legitimate, serious, deep questions. And it's important to note that it's okay to ask them, to raise them directly, forcefully to God, demanding answers, demanding guidance, demanding help, demanding action. Doing so simply follows in the scriptural example of the prophets and the psalmists, not to mention Job and the disciples. We're fully warranted in raising the depth of our pain to God. Now, there are two major types of storms in our lives. The first is a storm of sin, and the second is a storm of loss. They're related, but they're distinct. Let's consider first the storm of sin. As we know, the storm of sin disrupts, disorients, disorders, and left unchecked, ultimately destroys our capacity to love God, love our neighbors, love ourselves. The main Greek and Hebrew words for sin literally mean missing the mark. Sin entails missing the mark of loving God and neighbor in self, in thought, word, and deed. And when we sin, we kick up storms of envy and discord, of distrust. We kick up howling winds of hatred and selfish ambition, fear and greed, swirling alongside despair and impatience and impulsiveness. This happens, of course, when we sin individually and in our personal lives, but especially and also when our sins combine and clash and swirl across communities, across nations, across the world. When we sin, we make idols of things like pleasure or possessions or praise. We make idols of things like beauty and truth and goodness even. We make idols even of religion and rule following and devotion to God. And any given one of us is more susceptible to some of these idols than the others. I've always found it helpful to think of sin, at the risk of mixing metaphors too much, to think of sin as an illness, a virus, that can infect and affect us in different ways. And in that vein, the church is, of course, a place where we are mending, rehabbing, working, and learning to regain strength to love rightly, again, by God's grace. And it is our relationship with God, God's love for us, and our responsive love for God, out of which right love grows. And that is a right love both for ourselves and then subsequently for our neighbors. If we don't hit the mark of receiving God's love, of understanding uh, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, we can't love ourselves, and as a consequence, we can't love our neighbors as ourselves. And I want to highlight that for a moment, uh, that love of self, because it's not something that we often dig into that much, but it is critical. 
Because it's not clear how anyone can follow God's call to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. And this is a love of self that is not selfishness, not some idolatry of the self, but rather a love of self that's rooted in God's love for us as our creator and our redeemer. This is a love of self that is rooted in the recognition that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image, the creator and savior of the universe, that you were made to grow in the mind and likeness of Christ Jesus, that you were crafted from on high with gifts and graces, capacities and interests, talents and unique treasures that the world needs. And if you can't accept this fact that you are inherently worthy of love, of care, of respect, because God made you and intends you to flourish in the development of your God-given gifts and community with others, if you can't accept and embrace that deeply grateful, securely rooted self-love, then the consequence tends to be that you seek your sense of belonging, of worth, of value in some idol, rather than the God who made you, who loves you, who longs for you, who came incarnate even to the point of death on the cross in order to welcome and usher and bring you back into loving relationship with him and by direct extension into loving relationship with yourself and your neighbors. I imagine that you know in yourself and in your interactions with others that the folks, and we often ourselves, who are most prone to missing the mark of treating others with love and respect, justice and kindness and gentleness, are the folks who are most insecure about their own status, their own sense of belonging, their own sense of worth, their own sense of value. When we don't realize, when we don't understand, when we don't embrace that our value is inherent to who we are as God's creatures, that we belong to the God who longs for us, who crafted each of us personally in the divine image, we believe that our value, when we don't do that, we believe that our value has to lie elsewhere, and we have to fight and scrap and outrank others to secure it, that we have to do those kinds of things instead of simply leaning into and receiving that value of ourselves as the indelible eternal gift of God. The reality that your value, your belonging, your worthiness, worthiness of love and respect is not rooted in anything you do, but in who you are as a creature of God, made in God's image. That is a realization that unleashes a peace, a calm, a love of God in you that stills raging storms of sin in your heart. And it's out of this love for God and consequent accompanying love for self that love of neighbors flows, that the fruits of the Spirit can actually grow. Love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Those fruits can grow and allow one to be blessed and to be a blessing to other people. The storm of sin is one that God is calling each one of us, each moment, to allow God to still, to quiet, with the reality that God is our creator and wants to see each one of us flourish both here and now and unto eternity, with the reality that we belong to God. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God, and God's love is the rest that is beckoning us home from the storms of sin each and every day unto the kingdom come.
Now that second major kind of storm that regularly hits our lives, though, it's connected to the sin of storm, of storm of sin, but it's distinct from it. And it's the storm of loss, including death. This storm of loss in part entails all the damage and the destruction that sin inflicts and kicks up in the world, the cuts, the wounds, the harms. Everything from petty cruelties within families, within a workplace, on the playground, to physical and verbal abuse, to the horrors of violence and war, and to the horrors of things like famine and the egregious lack of resources necessary to flourish. That storm of loss, though, also entails the losses that just happen. Not necessarily due to any injustice against us, but simply as part of life on this earth. There's losses of accident, of illness, of injury. The storm of loss frequently leaves us asking and pleading with God, why would you allow this, God? How could you let this happen? Don't you care if we are perishing? Alistair McGrath notes in his book, Mere Apologetics, How to Help Seekers and Skeptics Find Faith, that, quote, the issue of suffering is a question that nobody, whether secular or religious, can answer totally. Nobody has a knockdown answer to the problem of suffering. For us as Christians, it is, it is of course, the question of, quote, if, there is, if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen in a universe created by a supposedly loving God? These are questions over which people have been spilling ink and crying out to God for millennia. And I imagine they are questions we will continue to carry with us unto the kingdom come. Again, in line with the prophets and with the psalmists. Because this side of eternity, it's not clear we get more of an answer than Job got which was essentially God saying out of the whirlwind, you wouldn't understand. There's more going on here than you can grasp. And in many respects, focusing on the why there are these sufferings, these storms of loss, storms of sin. This why question is about as fruitful as the whirlwind. It's a swirling inquiry in itself that here and now leads to nowhere. And the thing that we can do amid the storm of loss and sin here and now is not necessarily dwell on that question of why this is happening, why God would allow it. But rather, we can find stillness in the question of how we can ally and align ourselves with God's life-giving, mending ways in the midst of suffering. This does not necessarily make the pain or the questions go away, but it does provide a path forward. And we know, of course, that the utmost response that we get from God regarding these storms of loss, these storms of sin, is an incredible one, an amazing grace. Even if it does not answer the question why these things are allowed to happen, it does answer that God did and is doing something about the suffering of sin and loss and death. It is the answer of that amazing grace that in the words of the good news, the gospel according to John, quote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. 
In the words of the good news, the gospel according to Mark, the answer to suffering from God is that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the words of the good news, the gospel that Paul proclaimed in his first letter to the Corinthians, this answer to what God is doing about suffering is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, the first fruits of those who died. In the words of the good news, the gospel that Paul proclaimed in his letter to the Colossians, that answer to what God is doing about suffering is that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The answer to what God is doing about suffering is the good news that our Creator heard our cries and came incarnate as Christ in order to break the ultimate bonds of sin and death, still the storm by taking its ultimate destructive consequences upon himself on our behalf and giving the saving grace of a way back into the loving relationship with God, with ourselves, with our neighbors. Alistair McGrath further writes, quote, In the Incarnation, God the Creator enters this world of pain and suffering not as a curious tourist, but as a committed Savior. Christians thus recognize that God's loving commitment to a suffering world was so great that God entered into it personally, choosing to share in its pain and its suffering. One of the most precious of the many Christian insights into God is that we are not dealing with a distant God who knows nothing of what being human, frail, and mortal means. God knows and understands. And the Christian, Christian gospel further declares with passion and power that the suffering and pain of this world will give way to a better place, a place in which God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. We live in hope. End quote. Sisters and brothers, we don't know why God allows such suffering, such unimaginable storms of sin and loss that so routinely afflict us. But we lean into the belief that God cares, demonstrated not only in the fact that God crafted each one of us as part of this good creation, but that God came incarnate to right every wrong, mend every wound, to bring creation into its fullest expression of goodness by bearing away evil and sin and death in every ultimate and cosmic sense on the cross on our behalf, for us. And any loss we suffer is something that love divine not only mourns alongside us, but leads the resurrecting charge against inviting each of us to join in the life-giving ways of God en route to that day when every tear is wiped away. The power of God, the stillness God brings to the storms in our lives, comes not only in the hope of the life to come, but in the ways that it informs and strengthens our actions here and now to grow in relationship with God and with one another. As John's first letter proclaims, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Nobody has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. There's a blessing in a book uh, by the Reverend Jan Richardson. Uh, The book is called The Cure for Sorrow, a book of blessings for times of grief. And I want to close with it because I think it speaks to the storms of sin and the storms of loss in light of God's love for us. And in light of the love of God and of neighbor and himself that God's love engenders in us. So I end with this blessing, and I invite you to receive it as a blessing, as a prayer over your life today and in the days to come unto the kingdom come. It's entitled Blessing in the Chaos, and it reads, To all that is chaotic in you, let there come silence. Let there be a calming of the clamoring a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that have made their home in you, that go with you even to the holy places, but will not let you rest, will not let you hear your life with the wholeness or feel the grace that fashioned you. Let what distracts you cease. Let what divides you cease. Let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans. Let depart all that keeps you in its cage. Let there be an opening into the quiet that lies beneath the chaos. Where you find peace you did not think possible and see what shimmers within the storm. To God be the glory, brothers and sisters, forever and ever. Amen. And let us now stand and sing together, O God, our help in ages past. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled, Don't You Care If We Drown?, which was delivered by Rev. Dr. Nelson Reevely, our pastor for discipleship. The congregation will now join in singing, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, which is number 111 in the hymn book.
Please be seated. And let us turn together to our God, our Creator, and our Redeemer in prayer. Lord God, this is a day that you have made, and we are grateful for it. This is a day, this is a day Lord, that some of us in the sanctuary and around this globe are in deep storms, storms of sin, storms of loss, storms in which we are wounding ourselves and others, storms in which others are wounding us, storms in which we are wrestling with loss, whether loss of health or of work or of loved ones. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts, calm these storms, bring us respite from the sinful actions or dispositions that we inflict on ourselves and others. From the harms that others sling against us, rescue us, Lord. And from the losses that are endemic to life on earth, Lord, we look to your coming kingdom. Jesus, we need to see, to feel, to recognize your presence. We know you are with us, but we need to feel it deep within us, like a warming, inspiring fire in our bones. Help us, Lord, to give time to grow in relationship with you in prayer. Help us to see you ever at work in the glories of creation, whether it's attending to the intricate details of something beautiful on this earth or in the heavenly stars above Help us to see you ever at work as well within us and through us, through gifts of things like math and science, medicine and art, friendship and compassion and family. And Lord, as you guide us and lead us into all these creative graces that you've given us, help us always to recall your saving grace as well in Christ Jesus, how you bore the sins of the world and conquered the grave for us. God, we pray for this church grace covenant and for churches around this world we ask that you make us a compelling beacon of your reconciling love and we pray in particular lord for our pastoral search committee and our congregation fill all of us with spiritual gifts give us discerning wisdom empowering strength give us enduring patience for the tasks at hand and we ask, Lord, that you lead someone to come alongside us in this congregation who can help us grow and to help and to grow with us in the mind and in the discipleship of Christ. Lord God, we pray as well for our nation and for all nations. We give thanks for the hard work of public servants, and we ask your blessing over them to seek the common good, to seek justice, to seek a world in which everybody can grow and develop their God-given gifts in concert with one another as you intend. And God, we pray as well that you will use each of us, each one of us in this sanctuary, to be your hands and feet, your mouth and ears, your arms and legs in this world to care for those who are suffering. We ask that you help each of us to lean into your love, grow in deep relationship with you so that we can love you, love our neighbors, love ourselves in ways that lead to our flourishing and enable us to care for the flourishing of others, for the spread of your gospel and word and indeed. And Lord, we enfold all of these prayers now in the prayer that you taught us to pray when you came incarnate as Christ to save us from sin and from death. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I invite each of us to give as we feel called to support the ministries of this congregation prayerfully under Christ, ministries of worship and Christian education, ministries of fellowship and congregational care, ministries of service to our neighbors near and far. As always, you can give online. There are also places to donate at the back of the sanctuary. Please give as the Spirit leads you.
Let us pray. Lord, thank you for these gifts that come from the bounty of your good creation. We ask that you bless them so they might be a blessing to others through our worship of you, study of your word, fellowship in your spirit, and service to others near and far. Make us wise and effective. Stories. For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Also assisting in the service today as chorister was Dan Cook. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. I'd also like to remind you about the next Red Cross blood drive that will occur here at the church on Saturday, July the 31st between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Your announcer today has been John Harris and the engineer was Steve Kemp. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to the Truth Network on WLES. reminder before we go forth to love and to serve the Lord our God. Uh, please join us on the terrace after worship and welcome Bob and brothers and sisters. 
as you go forth, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen.